The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today we're actually very excited to be going over the wonderful Marvel TV show, Moon Knight. Moon Knight is a Marvel superhero that has DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder. He's actually a superhero that goes through a mental health disorder. Can you tell us what DID is and how it is portrayed in this TV show? Sure. As you said, DID stands for Dissociative Identity Disorder. A lot of times it occurs in individuals with severe trauma where there might be different parts of themselves that might show up. And this might be an entirely different personality in this case. There can be a lot of spoilers on this podcast. We see, at least initially, two different parts, Steve and Mark. And in many people with DID, the different parts are, at least initially, not aware of each other. And so what that means is that one personality might take over, and this might be a person with a different name, sometimes a different accent or sometimes a different gender, gender identity, a different sexual orientation at times. And this separate identity will take over sort of what's happening. A lot of times it's done for protective reasons. In some individuals, the parts are aware of each other and do talk to each other. But in a lot of individuals in kind of the classic presentation of DID, they might not be. In some individuals, especially those who went through severe trauma, the separate identity shows up as almost like either a protector to support the main identity from the trauma they're going through or to become kind of a a friendly figure to sort of offset some of the stressors and traumatic events that happen. For example, individuals who are going through abuse might start displaying a separate part, a separate identity that becomes the protector. This might be somebody that is assertive, that is able to set boundaries, whereas the main identity, the main part of that individual might have been somebody who was maybe very uncomfortable speaking up for themselves and setting boundaries, for instance. When I grew up, I remember hearing multiple personality disorder. I don't know if this is the same thing, just rebranded or... Great question. Yes. So DID, or dissociative identity disorder, used to be called multiple personality disorder. Dissociative identity disorder is a more accurate term since not everybody with DID has necessarily distinct personalities. As I mentioned, sometimes this could be different parts. Sometimes there might be a sort of a dissociation that happens where somebody will sort of blank out. 
and zone out and not remember what happened. A lot of times it is, again, a reaction to severe trauma. Not always, but a lot of times it is. And so DID is the newer, more accurate umbrella mm -hmm. term for these different kinds of disorders. And that is a more accurate description of what Mark slash Steve is going through. What came up for me, and I know you haven't seen this show yet. It's called Doom Patrol. Well, I'm going to reference Doom Patrol here. And there is a character on there named Jane who she has like unlimited. I don't, I don't know how many personalities she has that she can turn into. Mm -hmm. How many personalities can someone have? There's no limit for some individuals. There might be two distinct identities or parts. For some individuals, there might be many. And a lot of times, especially when somebody has been through a lot, different parts of themselves serve different purposes. So for example, there might be a protector, there might be a nurturer, there might be somebody who's really, for example, socially outgoing, even if the main identity is somebody who is maybe very shy and introverted. A lot of times these separate parts, these separate identities serve a protective purpose and come out to support the main part in whatever may be scary or maybe uncomfortable or potentially traumatic event they might be facing in the moment. It's a very interesting topic. It is unfortunately considered controversial because some individuals to this day deny that DID exists. And as a mental health professional, I just want to state it absolutely does exist. It's a real experience that people go through. And so if you ever hear of somebody's experience with it, please do not invalidate them. Do not try to tell them that their experience is not real. DID is a real mental health issue. It is absolutely valid, and it is something that some people go through. You had mentioned that Moon Knight has two personalities that we know at this time. One's Mark and one's Steven. Why do you believe that Mark created Steven in the first place? From what we learn about Mark's backstory, and Mark is the main identity from our understanding of the first season, Mark unfortunately lost his brother, his younger brother, mm -hmm. when they were playing in the cave and the cave flooded. And Mark blamed himself for his little brother's death. But then to make matters worse, his mom blamed him, magnifying Mark's trauma and shame. What are you doing here? Hmm? Come on, buddy. You were supposed to keep him safe. Stephen, let's go. Let him drown. This is all your fault. This is all your fault. His mom started abusing substances. She was so lost in her grief that she started abusing alcohol, which caused her to not only be neglectful, we saw birthday after birthday where she wasn't there for him, only his father was, but she became extremely abusive to where if he did anything wrong, if he made a mess in his room, or if he just did something that she didn't approve of. It was basically of, just breathing. <laughs> yeah, that she would beat him and yell at him and belittle him. And... He needed somebody to be in his corner. His father, even though his father tried to keep the family together, Mark's father failed to protect him. He failed to take Mark away from Mark's mom, mm -hmm. which would have been the right thing to do. 
or put her in treatment or just somehow create space between Mark and mom. Because even though mom had every right to be grief stricken and of course traumatized, she had no right to take out all her anger and aggression on her other child. And so in order to cope with what was happening, Mark created Stephen based on his favorite TV show, right? He created a British character, mm -hmm. named him after somebody from a TV show and made him somebody who was easygoing and laid back and calm and reassuring as a way of create a sense of connection, as a way to have a friend, even though the two didn't talk to one another, the two identities, the two parts didn't talk to one another when Mark was little. But in Stephen being able to take over, it allowed Mark to have a refuge from the horror that he was facing. Stop, Mom. It's not my mom. Open this door. Open this door right now. Open this door. Bloody hell. Look at the state of this place. Better sort it out before Mum sees it. Mark, open this door right now. And danger is near. Stephen Grant has no fear. You made me up. Open the door right now! You're gonna learn. You're not meant to see that. That's the whole point of you. Oh. The point of me? The point of me, what, to be a stress ball? All this time I thought I was the original. But I'm just something that you made up. You've got to live a happy, simple, normal life. You understand? But it was all a lie, wasn't it? So what? What does it matter? What, you want to remember the truth? That you had a mother that beat you? That hated you? That, that made your life a living hell? You know, you're just trying to upset me. But you've gotten to live thinking that she loved you, that she was kind, that she's still alive. Yeah, it's just so heavy that trauma's that bad that you create this whole other person mm -hmm. within you that can just either take it or just mm -hmm. take you to a different kind of paradise or reality or whatever. Absolutely. Some individuals who go through this type of trauma refer to the idea as multiplicity. And so I, I just wanted to mention this other term that you might hear. Both terms are valid in the DSM, the diagnostical manual that psychologists use. We primarily use the term DID, but a lot of folks prefer the term multiplicity. And again, for some folks, the parts are able to talk to one another. So not every presentation of DID or multiplicity looks the same as we see in this TV show. Personally and professionally speaking, I thought the show did an amazing job of depicting what DID can look like in some individuals. I thought the show did a really good job of destigmatizing this disorder and having people 
hopefully have more empathy and understanding toward individuals who are going through it. Yeah. So you had mentioned Mark's mother a little bit, and Mark's mother despises him because you were saying that his younger brother died in his care, and he was the older brother. But in this situation, the mom is not the only one grieving. Mark lost a brother, and his father lost a son. Can you discuss the role of grief, specifically Mark's? Well, Mark, I think, is not only going through the grief of losing his little brother. I think he's also going through severe trauma of witnessing his little brother's death and not being able to save him. I wonder if he's going through something called moral injury. Moral injury is where we act in a way that's different from our moral code. It's not always purposeful. Sometimes it's accidental, as is the case here. He had absolutely no intention of getting his brother hurt, but at the same time, he carries a tremendous amount of guilt and shame and responsibility over what happened. And it's only magnified when his mother shouts at him that it should have been him. Mm. Yeah, that was just whew. brutal. Yeah. <laughs> and not the dad, not the rabbi, not a single person, not a single adult, not a single individual stands up for Mark and not a single individual tells her that she's out of line. Yeah. That's the tragedy of it, really, is this poor kid. He lost everything, too. He did. And in addition to going through grief and trauma, he's going through severe abuse and neglect. His mother is constantly neglecting him. And his father, as I mentioned before, is failing to protect him. And not a single person is standing up for him and standing up to her. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the father. Mark's father like you mentioned, just sat back and let his wife just seriously abuse Mark, like physically, emotionally, everything. He was no more than a bystander who did not protect his own son. How does this type of behavior contribute to enabling abuse? And does it provide the abuser justification for their despicable actions? It absolutely is enabling by Mark's father not standing up to Mark's mom the dad is essentially greenlighting this behavior. He's not voicing that he's not okay with it. Again, he's not taking Mark away to another location, for example, or he's not putting mom in rehab, or he's not telling her that you can't do this to him. He's standing back. And so when a bystander does nothing, that not just condones the bad behavior, it reinforces it. And I think what we're seeing here is not only enabling, but what could be potentially, you know, uh, I wish we had a little bit more information, but what could be maybe a codependent relationship between the mom and the dad, as happens in individuals where, for example, one individual is abusing substances, the other individual becomes sort of a caretaker and an enabler, but they lose themselves in the person who is going through addiction. They are unable to have their own feelings or thoughts on the matter. They, after a while, stop recognizing the difference between their own identity and the identity of their partner. And although Mark's dad does show up with birthday cakes for Mark's birthday Shows every a year, little bit of compassion here and there. I know that he loved his son very, very much, and he does care for him. But because I think he was so intertwined with his wife, 
I think maybe thought he was supporting her in not standing up to her and letting her have her grief reaction. But he failed to see that she was being abusive, that she was out of line, that she needed help, that she needed to be perhaps put in rehab. But more than anything, he failed to protect his surviving son, who was an innocent victim in all this, who really needed at least one of his parents to be in his corner. Wendy, please. We're just about to blow out the candles now. She's not coming. Your mother's not feeling well, Mark. Well, uh, we'll do it just you and I this year. You okay? Later in the series, well, actually early in the series, we meet his wife, Layla. Love, Layla. Mark? Where have you been? Layla? What the hell is going on? Is this Steven the latest fake identity for you? I figured that you were using a coded message when we spoke on the phone. How did you find me? How do you think I found you? I tracked your phone. I thought that's what you wanted me to do and you turned it on. Right, yeah. You know, you, you really could have given me any sign that you were alive. I thought that you were in danger or, or kidnapped again. I just kept thinking, you know, he's got the suit, he's fine. And then, and then I thought, well, what if he gets ambushed when he's not wearing it? And what if he doesn't have it? And would you just stop clasping my shoulder oh, sorry, like that? I don't know where I it feels like I'm on. riding with a Victorian duchess. Where do I hang on? Do you see the spiral you put me through? Oh. It's not okay, yeah? I'm still your wife. By the way, this would be a great time for you to say something. Anything. Just in case it's not clear. Did you say why? But, uh, oh, my, what, are we married? Look, I'm pretty sure we lost whoever was chasing you. Just drop the act. No, no, it's not an act. Stop with uh, the accent, please. This is how I talk. Okay, uh, get off the bike. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Please, please, I will tell you everything. Just, just get me to my flat, yeah? She is all around amazing. <laughs> She's extremely smart. She's compassionate and she really can kick some butt. It's no wonder she later becomes the avatar of the hippo goddess Tarawet. Can you discuss her and Mark's relationship and why her father's death was so much more painful for her? Layla is, as you said, a very powerful person. And her relationship with Mark is a really interesting one. She trusts him completely. Right. He has this secret life. She knows he's basically a superhero. He's gone for years. Sometimes he's gone for a long period of time, but she trusts him and knows that he's doing his best to essentially save the world. I think when she learned that Mark was there when her father died, even though he wasn't the, the one that killed her father, I think it was the first time she realized that maybe she didn't know him as well as she did. It's interesting that when she learned about his DID, she adapted so quickly, mm -hmm. right? She, again, loves him completely as we all should thrive for this kind of relationship, right? Where our partners love us completely unconditionally. No one should ever be rejected for their mental health condition. And I love how understanding and, and wonderful and supportive she is. And learning about Mark omitting the fact that he was there and was unable to save her father, 
I think was the first time she realized that she might not know him as well as she thought she did. And I think was the first time she felt betrayed by this person that she trusted completely and utterly. Somebody that's supposed to be her life partner. And I think that's what shows up in a lot of marriages, a, a lot of committed relationships where one partner might find out the truth about their partner and it might be not necessarily a lie but an omission and it's these kind of omissions that build mistrust that actually create rupture as difficult as it is to tell the truth i think the best kind of relationships are ones that are built on transparency and emotional intimacy yeah Shouldn't be hiding stuff like he was. <laughs> That's for sure. And I imagine it would be very difficult for him to tell her about, but she deserved to know how her father died. She deserved yeah. to know the truth. Most definitely. And her father wasn't the only one to die. I mean, really, Mark was betrayed as well, and he was about to die. And the Egyptian god Khonshu came and basically took advantage of him. He sensed Stephen. He sensed that he was a troubled man or whatever he called it. This got me thinking about how people might take advantage of someone who is struggling with a mental health disorder. Yeah, I think unfortunately it happens a lot where individuals who are looking to somehow profit or benefit or become more powerful might look for somebody who is more vulnerable, for somebody who is either struggling with a mental health disorder or maybe is going through grief or loss or some kind of a physical or an emotional wound like what Mark was going through and might really take advantage of the situation for personal gain. And that is very much what Kanchu did here. Mark was not in a very good negotiating place. He was losing consciousness. He was losing life. He didn't really have a lot of opportunity to make a very clear choice. I know. You keep me alive? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> and I think you're right. I think Kanchu really did take advantage. And I did want to use this opportunity actually to stress how often, unfortunately, people with DID, people with schizophrenia, people with substance abuse disorders, people who are homeless, for example, get taken advantage of and exploited, whether it's physically, financially, sexually. And it's something that I think is really important for us to keep in mind to really not only be on the lookout for individuals who might be taken advantage of so that we can stand up for them and protect them, but also to offer compassion to individuals who are struggling or if any of them are showing maybe fear or distrust to understand that they've probably been hurt a lot. When Layla turns into Tarawit's avatar, she looks amazing and she all of a sudden has superpowers, kind of like Mark, when Mark became Conchu's avatar. But what makes this really special is that Layla is Egyptian. And a young Egyptian girl asks her if she's an Egyptian superhero, and she responds, yes. How important is this scene and the underlying message it's bringing attention to here? Oh my goodness, it brought tears to my eyes. Just seeing a representation of ourselves on the screen is so meaningful for a little Egyptian girl to see a powerful Egyptian woman who's a superhero it can be life-changing right it lets her know that she can be a superhero too in one of our future podcasts we're going to be talking about Miss Marvel mm -hmm. and how important it is to have uh, such a wonderful representation of a Pakistani superhero yeah. I think that Marvel Disney in general is doing such a wonderful job of 
offering representations that kids of all backgrounds, all sexes, all gender identities, kids from multiple cultures can really look up to and also learn from. Yeah. So one of the big bads is played by Ethan Hawke. He plays a character named Arthur Harrow, who is a devout like follower of the Egyptian goddess Amit. Amit is the devourer of souls. In the Hall of Two Truths, Anubis weighed the heart of a person against the feather of Mahat, or the feather of truth. If the heart weighed more than the feather, then Amit would devour it. Essentially, that person would not be worthy to go on to the field of reeds. The interesting thing about Amit in this depiction is she's kind of a lot like Khonshu. They're very similar gods, really. They judge the hearts of human beings and in the lives of those who they deem are evil. The difference between the two is that Kanchu passes his judgment after the deed has been committed, while Amit can see an individual's future and judges them to die before they can even really do the evil. What do you think about this dynamic pair of gods and their methods of punishing evil people? I think that it would be really good if we had a philosophy professor here you know, <laughs> to talk about like good and evil and things like that. As a psychologist, what I can tell you is that for most people, even if they have certain tendencies, they're still a matter of choice. And even though somebody's future might look a certain way, they might still end up making different choices. And I think that Amit's method is flawed because it makes assumptions that the foreseen future will happen exactly as is foretold. But humans are much more complicated than that. And even a small change in somebody's trajectory can have them make a different decision. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a scene where Arthur Harrow was with an older woman who came up to be judged. Who would like to go next? Please, Harrow, I must know. Call me Arthur. Come, will you accept your scales regardless of the outcome? Yes. I'm sorry. I've been good my entire life. I believe you. But the scales see everything. Perhaps it's something that lies ahead. Oh, I wish you could live to see the world we make. Yet Amit has decided. I think between the two personally, that justice served is better than justice foretold or whatever the difference is there. It's interesting because Harrow shoots Mark and actually kills him. And Mark and Stephen both go to the duat together. Both of their souls split and they have to revisit their life. And this is when Stephen finds out about Mark and his younger brother and all that. So the duat is the realm of the dead in ancient Egyptian mythology. When Mark and subsequently Stephen are killed and enter the duat, they're tasked to revisit their lives and find balance in their past. Mark's personal duot is symbolized as being a mental health hospital, and his psychologist is Arthur Harrow. 
What do you think about this symbolism that's going on here? It's a really good question. I wonder if there's a part of Mark that wonders if he belongs in the hospital and if maybe he's somebody that needs to undergo treatment. I wonder with all the dissociations he's been through, I wonder if there's a part of him that maybe thinks, wouldn't it all make much more sense if none of it is real? None of this magic is real. If maybe all it is is that I'm in the hospital and I'm undergoing treatment. In general, the mind tries to come up with the simplest solution for what's going on. I think there is a part of him that maybe had been wondering all along, what is the truth? What is reality? And for people either with DID or also individuals who had been tortured, who had been brainwashed, who grew up with the trauma of being in a cult, individuals who'd been gaslighted, you know, for many years and abused in that way, have a really difficult time discerning reality from non-reality. And that can be a really scary, very triggering topic. I wonder if in Mark's experiences of losing track of reality, he might be a really terrified of things not being real. And therefore, in some ways, it's a nightmare that none of it was real in the first place and he was just lost. And B, maybe finding some kind of stability in some way. And I imagine for him, experiencing this kind of loss of reality is both terrifying and, and then also is maybe helping him to reevaluate his life. For both Mark and Stephen, they're seeing the scariest truth that could be. And I think it's really telling that for Mark, the scariest possibility, the, the biggest trauma is if none of it was real in the first place. And for somebody who spent so many years questioning what is real, you know, so much so that he has to shackle himself to bed every night because he loses track of time, because he forgets, because his fish is replaced, right? Mm -hmm. Realizing that all of it might have been either an illusion or a hallucination and that his reality is completely distorted and not what he thought it was, I imagine would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, definitely. That was kind of anxiety provoking just watching it, just thinking, man, could this all be in his head? Kind of Shutter Island style or something. Mm -hmm. We're going to go ahead and end it here. But at the end, he has a third personality named Jake Lockley. This guy is a cold-blooded killer that doesn't seem to have any remorse. And Conchu is just playing him. Mark and Steven both don't know about him. That's where it ends. So I assume that in the next season, we'll get a little bit more information there. But thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official. Um, I now also have a TikTok channel. You can find me there under Dr. Janina Scarlett. Be safe, be kind, and take care.